0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back of house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and our guest today is Lisa Friedman, who in an email wondered how much time we would have for this podcast. So, in response, Lisa, my next podcast isn't for another four hours, so we've got just a little bit less than that, but hopefully. Hopefully, you can fit all your memories into a four-hour period. Uh, Lisa, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun to be able to go down memory lane.
0: Yeah, memory lane is like getting really busy. I think we might have to put like games lanes in there. So we have dedicated games lanes in memory lane road. I see that you're in a house. Where are you joining us from today, Lisa?
1: Uh, I live in San Diego, California, and I've been down here since 2004, which is actually when I left Utah. Um, uh, done a little bit of bopping around. I spent some time in Vancouver working on the twenty ten winter games, but otherwise, this is home base. Um, it's a beautiful day here. A little bit cooler than we normally like, but nice and sunny. Waves are up, so that's always good
0: well, isn't every day beautiful in San Diego? And when you say it's a little bit cooler, what does that mean? It's like, Oh, it's, it's 72. I like it better when it's about <laughs> 75, 77. I mean, the weather it, there is just amazing San Diego. It, no,
1: it is. You put, you hit the nail on the head. Although I will tell you some of the, uh, folks you have had on this in the past who were up in Oregon a couple of weeks ago had better weather than we had down here. So it's not always perfect, but most of the time,
0: well, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely the exception rather than the rule, right? For Oregon to have better weather <laughs> on the Oregon coast than San Diego. So yeah, times are changing. That's crazy. Uh, what do you what are you doing in San Diego?
1: Uh, so these days, I took a role in early January working um, as the games manager for the US Police and Fire Championships. Um, it is an Olympic style event for public safety and first responders. Uh, The U.S. championships are held in San Diego and have been since about 2012. The event itself has been around for 54 years, starting out as the U.S. Police Olympics and then has grown. And then there's also the World Police and Fire Games, which are held in odd years and similar to an Olympics, gets bid on. Uh, 2021 was going to be in Rotterdam. Uh, They're asking potentially to postpone for a year, just with everything going on, not knowing how things are going to go. And since Tokyo did postpone, it probably makes some sense. 2023 will be in Winnipeg, Canada. And last week, we awarded the 2025 World Police and Fire Games to Birmingham, Alabama.
0: Wow. Okay. So that's cool. So you work both for the local organizers there for the US Police and Fire Games, but you also work for the the event owner. Is that right?
1: Well, so it's essentially, it's called, uh, they call themselves a federation. And I actually work directly for what they call the federation um the again the organization's been around since the late 60s so it's the california police athletic federation um between us and the listeners if i have my way i'll change the dba so it's a little more inclusive for you know the u.s the world and all first responders as opposed to just police um but yeah it's so far it's been interesting sadly we've had to cancel this year's event Um, But it gives me an opportunity to do a little bit in terms of how to grow the organization a little bit more. Um, It's pretty Southern California centric when it comes to our athletes. So really working hard to expand our reach around the country and uh, go from there. There's a lot of opportunity to do some really great things. And I've been very fortunate since I started in January to have a lot of time with local first responders, both uh, the chiefs of police and sheriffs and the fire chiefs and You know, I don't know what we would do without our public safety folks, because they're pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, they're absolutely amazing. It's too bad that the event was canceled. But I understand all the first responders are, well, responding right now. So they've got more important things to do.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the other thing I get to do on the side, because I'm fortunate to have this opportunity, I've gotten into the event production side of um, esports. And um, thanks to all of the experiences that I've had, you know, even going back to being in Salt Lake, I've gotten to know folks that are a part of the Call of Duty League. And um, the Minnesota Vikings own the team in Minnesota. They held the Call of Duty League launch in January and brought me in to help produce that. And that was a really fun experience. And now of course with traditional sports, you know, being on hold, the esports space it was starting to boom anyway it has just exploded in the last you know 6 weeks or so and it's pretty crazy
0: yeah i mean it's curious to see what's going to happen there we don't know what's going to happen with the spectator sports the traditional sports this industry has probably been one of the most devastated by the virus and Absolutely. who knows when people will go into a stadium of 20,000 seats and fill it to capacity and cheer on a team you know it's going to be a while so it's it's uh, going to be interesting to see how we all adjust to this new reality.
1: Absolutely, and then with baseball talking about you know starting back in June that will you know no spectators, and I know Premier League over in England has started you know training. I think it's minimum seventy five minutes for a training session and no more than ten people at a time. But yeah, it'll be. But you, you know, I mean, I, I've likened it a few times when people have talked about it and what the pandemic has done to all of us. You know, we I never thought I would say that we were fortunate to have been where we were when 9-11 happened, but when you think about what was going on when we were in Utah and 9-11 happened and how quickly we had to respond as an organization and, you know, we had to pivot and change security procedures. And, you know, at the same time, DHS was doing things at airports, but, you know, it really impacted everything we did. And to think that that experience all those years ago helped probably position us at least in a, better now to be able to deal with what we're dealing with. You know, I, again, never would have thought of it as a benefit, but...
0: Yeah, we we definitely made some lemonade out of those lemons. I want to come back to the baseball, and I want to know how baseball players, managers, and coaches will go all nine innings without spitting. <laughs>
1: That's a really good question. (laughs) They'll spit into their own masks. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's now specifically prohibited by Major League Baseball. They can't spit. And I just can't see them not spitting for three plus hours. Right.
1: Whether they're using uh, tobacco and dip or sunflower seeds, it will be very interesting.
0: Okay. Enough of baseball, enough of baseball. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about Salt Lake. Um, yeah. you mentioned September 11th and that was definitely a pivot point, but before that you had to join the committee. So I want you to tell us about your journey. What was, what was your journey? Like, what were you doing before the Salt Lake 2002 games? And how did you join the committee?
1: Oh man. Uh, we have, this is gets into why I asked how much time we had. So I was fortunate enough that I did the games in Atlanta and I was there for two and a half years. Um, I was in 1993 late 1993 that I met Jerry Anderson and he eventually came into the Atlanta organizing committee and then was hired by Salt Lake even before the Atlanta games uh, were produced and came to Utah right after and I always knew from the time we met that I really wanted to hopefully continue to work for him Uh, definitely had the event bug. Um he helped me uh well he guided my career for 26 years uh till he passed away in September of 2018 so I was very fortunate to have ridden those very big coattails for all that time. Um but he uh he talked me into I went to Vail in right after the games in Atlanta and I was there for about 6 months uh learning to ski supposedly and getting to know like the winter climate and then uh, he, in summer of 97, said, listen, would like you to think about coming over. Um, Vail wasn't really going the way we thought. I'd gone to Vail specifically to work, work on the 1999 World Alpine Ski Championships. And uh, our friend, Mr. Romero, uh, and the broadcast dollars didn't necessarily come through. So the job that I thought I was going to have, I mean, you know how it all goes. The job I thought I was going to have didn't happen. And Jerry said, if you want to come to Utah now, you can do it. So Jerry brought me in the summer of 97. So Mr. Welch and Dave Johnson were still there, and uh, I started out July 15th, and it was incredible. It really was. was, By far, I mean, I've had a lot of really wonderful event experiences, but Salt Lake is definitely up there at the top. Um, By virtue of the fact that, you know, there were so many great people that we got to meet and know in Utah – the, you know, people that had been in in Atlanta that were brought in, you know, so it was sort of like continuing to work with the same group of people. We were just in this new, incredible new place. Um, Jerry did make me sign a deal with him. If I moved to Utah and took the job that I would have to learn to ski and like it, um, which I did. I did my first winter there. I went to Brighton Thanksgiving of 97 and took ski lessons (laughs) and I fell in love with it. I was really fortunate. So yeah, so that's what got me in there. And five years later, you know, finished up working with the games. And then we stayed in Utah for an extra two years, uh, working. Jerry had little consulting company on the side. So I was fortunate enough to start doing Super Bowls with him as well. And baseball, all-star games, speaking of baseball, um, and then, yeah. And then Jerry decided to move to Colorado and that's how I came to California.
0: Wow. Well, I want to go back to, you come here in, to, in 1997. By the way, we've only interviewed a few people that were around at that <laughs> time so far. So, so uh, Karen Koppel mm-hmm. and Daniel Pacheco. And uh, we just interviewed Bob Bills. That interview just went up <laughs> live today. Um, and Daniel, by the way, says, hello. I was uh, texting with him this afternoon and I let him know that we were talking today, and he says, "Oh, please tell Lisa hello for me." So that that committee was small, and people had many different responsibilities. So, what hat or hats were you wearing when you joined the Salt Lake 2002 organizing committee? What was your role?
1: Uh, well, I started out. I was uh, supporting. So Karen was part of the department. So we were venue design, construction, and operations. Um, you know, Karen, being the architect, was on the design side. Jerry oversaw the department. We had Ranch Kimball who uh, miss him every day. He was amazing to work with. Uh, Ranch was on the construction side. I was brought in to support uh, administratively as well as to start working on the actual venue operation plans. Uh, We also were starting um, budgets, always fun, you know, figuring out our staffing plans and all of that. Uh, Leading into Nagano, um, Verena Rasmussen had had food and beverage, Olympic family, I think what else she had. Uh, somehow, someway going into Nagano, we inherited food and beverage. So all of a sudden now Jerry's like, we have to figure this out. So I started working on food and beverage and we brought in um, a number of people and then eventually got Don Pritchard on board, who was phenomenal. Um, and then logistics was under us at that point in time too, until Craig Williams and Stuart Ash came in. Um, and we had, we had brought Doug Arnott in to work with uh, me and to sort of help lead that venue operations planning team. So I had a lot of hats in those early days, but as you said, we all did, you know, it was a small group. Um, you know, it was Karen, we had, we had uh, Todd Barnes, um, Mike Osborne and Michael Howcheck, Jerry, myself. I mean, that was the, in Branch was the initial group in the department. And then, um, you know, Amory Marie Jensen was in charge of sport back then. And, you know, she had twins. I just remember she was lovely. Sharon Kingman, was already on board. Sharon's another one. Hopefully you can get, if you haven't already entered I don't think you haven't interviewed her yet. No,
0: I, I hope to get her. I hope to get her soon. That would uh, be let great. Let
1: me know what I can do to help facilitate that. Cause she's got probably better stories than I do.
0: <laughs> well then what am I talking to you for? Right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding.
1: But yes. And so, yeah. So, and it just with Jerry, a big part of my job ended up being, I ended up spending a lot of my time doing a lot of the venue use agreements. So I got to know, you know, Bob Wheaton and the folks at Deer Valley and John Cumming and Nick Badami really well um, at Park City Mountain Resort. I had the, um, the honor and a little bit of the terror of uh, working with Mr. Earl Holding, who was a just incredible man, but could be very terrifying <laughs> sometimes. But he actually, one of my favorite memories was probably he took me on a personal tour of the Grand before it was completed. And what was supposed to have been an hour, I got back four hours later to the office. <laughs> it's not like you could say, I'm sorry, Mr. Holding, I have to go. <laughs> so
0: Wow. Well, you've got a plethora of experiences there. How did your role evolve over time and what were you eventually? I won't, I don't want to say pegged, but what were you eventually assigned to do during the games themselves?
1: I think most of the event industry, at least, or maybe it's just working for, was working for Jerry all those years, was sort of a catch-as-catch-can, jack-of-all-trades, right? You do what you have to do to get the job done. Um, You know, it just sort of evolved. I I was much more focused on the event operation side until Doug came in. And then, you know, when the change of leadership happened and Mr. Jocklett came in and brought in Bechtel Um, and Grant Thomas and that whole team, you know, there was some interesting transitional period there. Um, But they brought in, you know, process, and they brought in, you know, a little bit more uh, professionalism isn't the right word, because I, I would never say that we weren't professional to begin with. But that sense of process, and I guess, corporate structure, which the organizing committee didn't have at that time, and We certainly didn't have it. I mean, you know, Jerry had been doing Super Bowls since Super Bowl 19. You know, he'd been the guy for so long, but there was a lot we learned and there was so much that we gained from working with Bechtel, as contentious as it was at the beginning. Um, And then once Mitt and Frazier came in, you know, things really changed. But I did continue to do a lot of the um, uh, facility use agreements. It was interesting. Uh, If you recall, the site of the uh, uh, superstore, Was the parking lot adjacent to the Wyndham Hotel across from Metals Plaza? Well, that lot was owned by Nick Badami and Steven Bamberger, Um, you know, being grandchildren of Governor Bamberger and Rose Bamberger drove the Golden Spike and all of those things. So, very interesting family. Uh, They owned that lot and were, were interested in leasing it, you know, to SLOC. And I had started working with them directly. It was, I mean, I was the one going into these meetings. They were asking for a lot of money. You know, the church had been very supportive, you know, donating the land for Metals Plaza (laughs) and Bambergers and Bonafos wanted to make money on it, which, you know, can understand they were businessmen. Bud Weiser was very interested in putting, um, what did they, uh, Bud, not Bud World, what did they call that? It oh like
0: yeah. What was it? I can't, I can't remember, maybe, maybe it was my world.
1: Yeah. Anyway. So I can't believe I'm forgetting this. I hate getting older. Um, so they wanted to, so they were looking at doing that and the church caught wind of it and was incredibly upset. So Frazier says to me, set up a meeting. So I set up a meeting for he and I, we walked down now, you know, we were in the Wells Fargo building. Their office was just two blocks down upstairs in a very inconspicuous building, but still on, um, what were we on state street or second East or whatever it was. Anyway, we go upstairs, uh, David Bamberg or David Bernalfo is sitting, and he's like kind of this with the light coming in from behind and he's in shadows and we walk in and I had, and even before I had met David doing business with him, I had heard, you know, the rumors and I mean, you know, it's not like small, right? So you hear the rumors and stuff in the industry that David could be fairly particular about who he did business with. Frazier and I walk in and we sit down and and I had said to Frazier, you know, here's what I know about him He is considered a slightly eccentric, you know I'm not sure what we're gonna get in terms of he's always been lovely to me But you know, i'm bringing in somebody else And Frazier was convinced that they would want tickets and cars and uniforms and all of those things And I just kept saying i'm not sure frazier that that's really the way that these people will go But you know, you go for it. You, I mean, you know, frazier was frazier, right? I mean, he's so brilliant We sit down David takes one look at Fraser and says, I don't want to work with you. I'm only going to do business with her. And I look at David, I'm like, David, you're going to get me fired. Like you have, like, this is not, I was mortified <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so yeah. So, so eventually, obviously we got the lot. It became uh, the superstore Budweiser did their activation a little bit further down, <laughs> but Oh man, that was, um, I was quite the experience. And then having to walk back to the office with Frazier after that, I, I like had no idea. You know, I was what, in my early 30s? I had no idea. How to respond well, to that.
0: What, what was Frazier's reaction? So was, this guy says, I'm only going to work with her. What does he say?
1: He, ju- I don't honestly remember. I think I was so shocked and mortified. I think I just, everything went black for a minute. I could so You
0: just hardly- suffered some yeah. a, a little amnesia. But then you're walking back. And what is Frazier telling you? I mean, uh, what's just, that conversation like?
1: What I recall, I, I was incredibly apologetic. I mean, I apologize for somebody that I had no control over. And Frazier was, was incredibly gracious about it all. And I think because I had warned him about, um, you know, sort of, the eccentricities I had heard through the business grapevine in Utah that he, it just sort of fell right into what I had described in terms of what David could be like, but you know, but Frazier, I mean, Frazier's a businessman if nothing else. And it was, you know, we're going to figure this out and we're going to go through it. And you know, he was, he, I think he even told me I had done a great job. And I said, I'm glad you feel that way because I can't believe this man just said he wouldn't do business with you. You're my boss. (laughs)
0: Well, I have a question. You mentioned the Metals Plaza. Someone else on a podcast episode mentioned the, the Metals Plaza as well, and uh, the church getting a little bit uh, concerned when they heard the group, the Bare Naked Ladies, was going to play <laughs> in the in the Metals Plaza. So someone kind of, you know, had to explain to them, "Well, this is actually it's just a." It's a, it's a bunch of Canadians. They're, they're harmless people. Um, But when you talk about all those venue use agreements, um, what were some of the venues that were particularly uh, interesting or challenging to get the agreements? And how did you end up actually getting the agreements from them?
1: Um, You know, well, The Oval and Utah Olympic Park, we we owned, you know, so as the organizing committee built those. So those were fairly simple. Soldier Hollow was a little bit more challenging, but not because of the agreement so much, because again, that was when we kind of owned. It was finding the venue because originally it was going to be at um, not Deer Creek Reservoir. What's the reservoir as you go up 80 to Park City? It's
0: uh, um, Little Dell Reservoir. There's a golf course there.
1: Exactly. So it was gonna be kind of around little dell was the original location, but then you know, snow wouldn't hold necessarily, so that changed. Provo was pretty easy because we helped fund that and the folks down in Provo were amazing to work with. The mayor and their I think it was the city manager I dealt with there. Snow Basin was a little bit more challenging and not one I was really very involved in. That was really more Grant, Thomas, and Jerry, because that was Mr. Holding. Um, but the host hotel, that was relatively easy because he built it specifically to be the the ioc hotel uh deer valley and park city were unbelievable to work with i mean it's but those and those were probably the ones i was the most engaged with along with provo um and then metals or not metals plaza per se but that particular lot Um, but part of it was you know the the bid agreements versus what was actually required, you know, once the award, they were just very different, you know, and then you're going in and the IOC, you know, steps in and sometimes has um, things that you have to do that aren't necessarily in, you know, an agreement that's put together to say, oh yeah, sure. You can bring, you can bring the Olympics here. No problem. We'll see if you really, you know, and look at how many years Mr. Welch tried to get the games. Right. So those were, there were some things that were outdated. Um, that were a challenge, plus, you know, to tell a venue that they have to shut everything down and lose their revenue when that hadn't necessarily been factored into the overall cost of what you would be, you know, and just the time to build. One of the things we've seen time and again with organizing committees, and no offense to the bid people, but you just see it all the time, is the the build times and the access use periods never completely line up with what financially is going to happen. So those, that was probably the more of the challenging and, but I will tell you, you know, John Cumming had taken over Park City Mountain Resort, right? As all of this happened. And, you know, he, he was, I mean, he had come from, um, oh my gosh, again, Mountain Hardware, you know, he had founded Mountain Hardware and, you know, he was, he was really, it was really fun to work with him too. Cause he just had a, a different perspective on business. And he was learning from Nick Bedani, who had run Park City Mountain Resort for all of those years until John bought it. But it was just great people. I mean, that was, that's the thing I remember most of it. and great staff within the OCOG.
0: Yeah. It was a lot of fun working with the people in the organizing committee. It sounds a bit Pollyannish, but it, maybe I'm looking back at it with these rose colored glasses. <laughs> I know it was hard, but it was a huge amount of fun. Um, and I I give a lot of credit to Mitt and Frazier for creating this environment uh, where we could work really hard, but we could also play hard.
1: Uh, I agree 100%. And uh, when did you start?
0: I didn't start until 2000, so I was okay. one of the babies of the committee.
1: <laughs> well, but you had Mitt been, Mitt hadn't come in yet when you started, had he?
0: Yeah, Mitt came in in 99, so he was already okay. there right. before I got there.
1: Yeah, the, the Frank Joklick era was a rough one. He definitely was sort of old school business, a little bit more, you know, lead by fear than, you know, collaboration. Um, so, yes, I definitely think the culture and, and, and all of that, you know, what Mitt and, and Frazier brought to the table was tremendous. And that did change a lot. I mean, it was, I will tell you, when, when Mr. Joplin took over, I mean, tremendous amount of respect for what he built with Kennecott and all of his other businesses. But when people were heading over to Nagano, it was not a fun time in that office. And granted, we were under scrutiny, you know, the uh, I still think that the scandal wouldn't have happened. And I've said this before, because I love conspiracy theories. But I think that if the NBA had not gone on strike, then the sports reporters would not have been looking for big stories and probably would not have uncovered all that they uncovered that winter, quite frankly.
0: So it's all David Stern's fault.
1: Right. Thanks,
0: Mr. Stern. Thanks a lot. You know, we get Jordan pushing off, and then we get the and It's all because of David Stern. There we go. Wow.
1: Oh, may he rest in peace. Oh, man.
0: Okay. I'm sure you've got a bunch of stories and I don't want my lines of questioning to impede your storytelling. So what else have you got? What other interesting stories do you have to share with us today?
1: Um, well, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, the people, you know, whether it was the folks from Utah, the folks that came in, the the group, you know, that came in who had done events in the past, you know, those that had come in from Atlanta and then especially after Sydney too, you know, it really, I think the event world really changed after Sydney, and with the U.S. giving so many work visas to the Aussies, I think it really opened up and made the Olympic movement that much more of an international, you know, event junkies team. You know, I look at the number of people that went from uh, Salt Lake to um, Athens and then on to Torino and then Beijing. And then, I mean, everyone ended up in Vancouver and London, it seemed like. And I, I had the opportunity to do a little bit of time over in London, which was amazing, not for the games, but leading up to them. And... You know, the Sochi and Rio and stuff, but you know, the number of people that I know from the industry who were in Salt Lake, Vancouver, that kind of thing, who are currently over in Dubai trying to do the World Expo. I mean, this it's that's been I think one of the most incredible things. You know, our our parents Most of our parents likely, you know, kind of went into a corporation or a company and worked one job all their lives. Now we've been doing a lot of the same things, but we've gotten to move all over the world and we get to work with a lot of the same people and have these incredible cultural experiences. And, you know, how fortunate are we? And how fortunate are we that we started out in this business at a period of time in the US where we were able to do it? I mean, if you truly go back, um, I mentioned Stuart Ash and, um, uh, Craig Williams, they, I kind of credit them a lot of the times as sort of being almost the founders of a lot of this group because they started out, in fact, you really need to interview them and I can hook you up with them. I do. They started out at Disney in high school, or maybe even Craig, Craig was the first one and maybe he was even 14. Yeah, he must've been like a freshman in high school. Anyway, they started out doing like Disney parades and then they ended up working the LA games. And then they ended up in Seattle in 1990. For the Goodwill games. And then they were in Buffalo, New York for the world university games. And then it was world cup soccer in 94. And then it was Atlanta for 96. And then that you had the Goodwill games in 98 in the, I mean, again, this is just all us. Then you had women's world cup in 99. Some people went to Sydney. A lot of people came to Salt Lake. I mean, that was that period of time was so, I mean, for all of us to have that ability, you know, to create this team you know, and we weren't quite as global. Now, again, you know, people are traveling all over the world and relocating, you know, to Beijing doesn't seem so, or Sochi or London doesn't seem as crazy as it probably did back then. And now we're heading into this new period in the U.S., right? Because we've got, you know, there's a lot of great events we have coming up here, but we've got World Cup soccer in 26. We've got the Olympics in 28. And hopefully we have the Olympics in 2030 in Utah. So, you know, we're heading into sort of, My thought about a lot of this is, you know, I'm old now in this business, and I'm probably too old (laughs) to focus a lot of that on my future. But if I can take a lot of what I learned and pay it forward to this next generation, you know, of event junkies, that's what I want to do because it formed my. my, I owe my career to Jerry and to all of these experiences.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way, and I've mentioned it before. It would be nice to kind of go out on a Lake 2030 or 2034, and I think the committee would be hilarious it would be a mixture of these old people <laughs> who've been around for decades <laughs> and then these really young people who probably don't want to do it the way the old people want to do it. And so, um, I think it could be really, really interesting and a lot of fun. Yeah. I think it could be a lot of fun. Well,
1: and you first met that Colin. I mean, I, have you had Colin Hilton on yet?
0: No, I haven't had Colin on. I need to get him on.
1: got to do Colin too. I mean, I've known Colin because he did World Cup in 94. I think he did World University Games. I didn't do WUG, but you know, Colin was World Cup 94. I met him in late 94 in Atlanta. And I, it's, I'm just so incredibly impressed and proud of all that he has accomplished and what he's doing to try to bring the games back to Utah. And he's just he's a tremendous person. So it, it makes me really happy to see all of his success. And he's got a phenomenal family, great kids, great wife. So it's always good. Yeah,
0: to absolutely. I definitely want to get him on and Gosh, there's so many people I want to get on the list. Is long. Okay, what was the craziest thing you saw? I know I'm asking a very specific question, and there may not be a, a specific answer right away. But it, one of these experiences that you had that you just thought, "Man, that was that was that was crazy. That was unbelievable."
1: Uh well the David Bernalfo story definitely ranked up there. Um, you know, it was kind of interesting because when I first got to the organizing committee, you know, as I said, I my primary role was administration on top of starting, you know, to get some of the venue operational plans on paper. Um, I sat in front of Jerry's office and he his office was next to Dave Johnson's and Heather Henderson was his assistant, and Ruth Ann, and I'm blanking on Ruth Ann's last name, was Dave's other assistant and some of the hindsight being what it is things that i either overheard or conversations i might have been a part of when the the not the you know the first scandal was when mr welch was removed And then when Mr. Joclet came in, there was the whole big, you know, bribery scandal and all of that. And there were just elements that you sit there in hindsight and you start to read transcripts. And, you know, I never, knock on wood, I never got called to testify or anything. But there were things that I overheard and saw and read that it was like, oh, okay. I guess in my world, it didn't seem like it was, you know, untoward, but okay, I guess. I don't know that it was illegal, but maybe it was really unethical, you know, scholarships being given out and guns being (laughs) delivered and trips being planned to Lake Powell. And, you know, you just sort of took for granted. That's how business was done, quite frankly. Um, so yeah, there were interesting things, but you know, the learn to ski, the, the Utah state games being a part of all of that. Um, Was a really fun opportunity too. Just I mean, being in Utah, you know, I mean, it's one of the. It's got. It's definitely one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. You know, for all the sun we can boast here in Southern California, Utah boasts what three hundred days of sunshine a year.
0: Yes, but we don't have an ocean. No, we have a pretend lake.
1: (laughs) Right, it's got salt. (laughs) That's got
0: a lot of salt in it, but. uh, Uh, Yeah, we don't have an ocean, but we do have beautiful mountains. So Mm -hmm. we have to we we have that. And we definitely have four seasons.
1: Yes. Oh, yes. I miss the I miss the Aspen's turning and and you've got I mean, let's be honest. It's the it is the best powder in the world. I've skied almost all over the place. And I can't go anywhere. I mean, Utah is it for me. It, it's I can't ski Colorado. I was living in Northern California for part of last year on a project and I Tahoe that Sierra cement. No, thank you. Give me my Deer Valley or my Park City or my Alta and I'm perfectly happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Well, I want to talk about the dynamic of the people who moved here from out of state to work on these games. I was someone who lived here locally, and so even though working on the games was amazing, it was like a job that I, you know, I got up in the morning and took a shower, and <laughs> you know, sent my kids off to school, and and then I did my work, and then I came home and had dinner with my family. Uh, but for a lot of people, their colleagues in the committee, especially those out of state colleagues, became their family, became very very close. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that dynamic of of uh, working with people who had like yourself come from out of state and the bonding that you had with each other.
1: Well, you know, as I said, a lot of people had worked together in the past, whether it was Atlanta or world cup soccer. I mean, it was, if it, I ended up doing a world cup soccer game, uh 4th of July, which was the U S Brazil at the Mineshaft in Stanford, because Jerry took care of making sure that Atlanta let me come do it, you know? So, a lot of us, like I said, had worked together. So it was sort of like we just picked up our office and moved to a new place and got to go and explore Lake Powell and Zion and, you know, ski in Park City or Alter or wherever. Um, I, our, I think for me, at least, my bond with a lot of people was already fairly strong. I mean, Trish Fenton, I don't know if you ever got to work with her. She's still one of my closest friends today. Christine Paul, Tony Vitrano. Um, you know, and like I said, i I worked for Jerry for twenty six years. And our, you know, and we also had the luxury of we did we do Super Bowl every year. And so that was um Trisha used to call it summer camp. You know, we get together in January for summer camp, and it's our reunion. But being in Utah, um you know we had to figure out sort of how to again, to get around some of because we all were drinkers, so we had to figure out how to get around all of that. But, you know, we got together on Sundays and watched football um. You know, we probably were all in each other's business, uh, more so than we probably should have been, or in some cases probably wanted, but you know, again, I'm still, you know, Karen Koppel and I are still very good friends. I mean, you know, we try to talk every few weeks and I'm so fortunate that, that that family that was created really probably more so when we were there, cause we, we did so much more growing there, um, uh, you know, just fortunate that we still have these relationships and that we, you know, still do see each other and, and keep in touch. But, uh, you know, there was softball leagues that we all, I mean, gosh, I, yeah, we had softball leagues in the early days and again, cycling and just, you know, Utah is such a perfect outdoors place. Again, regardless of your seat, even mud season, you know, you can get out on your bike and do stuff. So we were just, we were really active and took advantage of, the incredible opportunities that we had while we were living there. I mean, we worked hard and we played hard. That's for sure.
0: Well, this has been a huge amount of fun. Thank you so much. Our assignments for you, as yeah. we mentioned before we started recording. Yes. Uh, there were three assignments. So the first one was a song. Well, it can be more than one. All so right. however many you want. Okay. But are are there some songs that you hear today, they, whenever you hear them, they make you think of Salt Lake 2002?
1: Absolutely. So the first like song specific to the Olympics is Kiss Rock and Roll All Night because they perform that at closing ceremonies. And I have very vivid memories of sitting in the stands for that. Um... Uh, you know, kind of everything around opening ceremonies for, musically. But part of that was, so you, you did ask my roles games time. So I was the site manager at uh, Rice Eccles um, leading up to just around 9 And then I ended up moving up to Deer Valley for the games, which honestly was tremendous. Like I, I loved being up there. I was with Todd Barnes and uh, Charlie Windsor. Charlie's a local Park City guy has been up there his entire career. Well, not life, but his career. Um, so, but my David Goldberg and Don Misher gave me the opportunity to have um, kids that I knew be part of the uh, Children of Light. And so my two closest friends have three girls between them. Um, And these are friends that I had that were outside of the organizing committee too, because I actually had a previous life when I got to Utah, people I had known from my previous life lived there now, so up in Park City. So I had that kind of whole thing as well, that family. So these three, now women, all got to be part of opening and closing ceremonies. that was really special for them and for me, you know, to be able to do that for them. So yes, so yes, Kiss, anything from Lenny Kravitz Five album? (laughs)
0: Um, Lenny Kravitz. That's that, that guy was a 90 staple. I gotta, I gotta give props for the Lenny Kravitz, uh, nod.
1: Well, and then the other one was Alicia Keys, you know, 2001, I think is when fallen came out and, you know, it was kind of her breakout and, you know, she's just right. Force. So I hear that, that song reminds me, um, leading into Christmas at rice Eccles, Paul Winston and I were the site, well, the site managers at the time. And, um, Clark, I think it was Clark Construction was our contractor, so we had trailers side by side, and we had a shared deck. And we decided to have a comp. Well, actually it was a competition amongst all the site management teams at all the venues where we were going to decorate our offices. So Paul and I oh here's a great story I should have shared Paul and I went to the DI and bought a couple old Barco loungers. We found we actually found a bearskin rug. Um, our Agreco temporary power uh, manager got us a black velvet Elvis. We literally built a mantle and put it in the, this is all in our little office trailer. Um, We built a mantle, we built a chimney and painted it and put it on top of the trailer. (laughs) And honestly, it was all to beat Todd Barnes and Charlie Windsor up in Deer Valley because they had already bought the Barco loungers in the rug and kind of issued the challenge and Paul and I not to be outdone because we're not at all competitive. We're like game on, let's go. Scott Bloom, what did Scott do? Scott had done something really clever up at Snow Basin, and unfortunately, I can't remember what it was. But yes... So, um, yeah, but Alicia Keys, that song Fallen, for whatever reason, had to have been playing as we were doing all of this building and stuff for Christmas because, yes, it's too bad that the blow-up stuff hadn't really come out yet because I'm sure we would have bought those and stuck them on the roof for people to drive by Rice Suckles and see all this craziness from the Olympic organizers.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. I got to know, though, who won the who won the competition? It was a draw. Between?
1: All of us. We all won because we all had uh, yeah, you yeah. all
0: winners, uh, you all won. Well, definitely. Kiss is already on there. Um, so we will also mention that you've nominated them and we'll definitely put Alicia Keys on there. And who else was it?
1: Oh, Alicia Keys, Lenny Kravitz. Well, Foo Fighters. Lenny
0: Habits, yeah. I mean, Lenny Kravitz.
1: Foo Fighters played at Metals Plaza and I, I didn't really know them well. I mean, obviously we all knew Nirvana, but I absolutely fell in love with Dave Grohl at that concert bare naked. I mean, you mentioned bare naked ladies. I mean, if you recall, uh, what's his name came out in his onesie, his speed skating onesie. At that concert.
0: That's right. That's right. And I wasn't at the Foo Fighters one. I wish I would have been, but from what I hear, Dave Grohl was just all about that Olympic spirit. You know, he was so excited to be playing. Okay. So now let's go to food. Was there a particular restaurant that you like to frequent during your five years there in Salt Lake?
1: Yes. Uh, when I was down in Salt Lake. Favorite restaurant, especially for lunch, Big City Soup.
0: Big City Soup. Big City Soup. Where was Big City Soup at? We're
1: by Union Depot.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Big had City Soup. Dog, okay.
1: But best wild rice and mushroom soup I've ever had. I can't recreate it. And I don't, they're not even in business anymore, I don't think. And I'm so
0: I don't think so. I don't it. think so.
1: Um, but then I would have to say, because I did live up in Park City, um, uh Billy Baker owned Chamayo and a couple of the other big agrappa but he opened uh, Windy Ridge leading into the games and again great soups great salads and all that but when we were um our radios at Deer Valley actually worked at Windy Ridge so we might have been known to sneak off and go get a meal over there
0: <laughs> well it's because you could stay operational right exactly. you your radios
1: exactly so
0: <laughs> okay awesome and my final question for you What's your goosebump moment?
1: Opening ceremonies, watching the athletes, I mean, starting with the Greek athletes, but just watching the athletes come in. And then even as much of a pain as it was, I mean, I hate to say that, but, you know, having President Bush show up and just from a security standpoint, because it did modify, you know, we had to alter everything at the 11th hour, but having him participate and be there.
0: Yeah, the ceremonies were awesome. Many people have talked about the ceremonies.
1: I think the other thing too is I, I mean, being at Deer Valley was amazing. Um, moguls and Aerials. Actually, I was standing with um, Edgar Stern, who used to own Deer Valley. Standing there with he and Bob Wheaton, and the Aerials was going off. And Edgar hadn't been a huge fan of Aerials because you know it doesn't exactly fit. You know that grunge doesn't really fit Deer Valley. He loved it, which was really special. You know to be able to hear him say this is actually really cool. We should probably do this again.
0: <laughs> and Deer Valley has. I mean, they've had a lot of World Cup uh, events there with aerials since 2002, and it's really become a destination. I, I mentioned this to somebody else, but yeah, my daughter went to the World Cup uh, event there this year. Oh, and uh, Yeah, and just had a blast. Had a great time. Had a great time. And uh, we've had a couple of Deer Valley people on. Um, you remember Donna? Donna oh, Providenti. Yes. We just published her podcast today, so you can check that out.
1: That's great! I can't wait to hear it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, wow, Lisa, it's been a, a very fast forty-five minutes. I'm looking here at the clock. <laughs> wow, the time is the time has flown. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your memories. I really appreciate it. Now, if people want to learn more about the police and fire games, the things that you're working on, or just get in touch with you and reconnect with you, how 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 best might they do that?
1: Uh, it, probably email. You ready for that? It's just yep. Lisa L. Friedman at gmail.com.
0: Okay, super simple. Lisa L. Friedman at gmail.com. Lisa, again, thank you so much. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our podcast. And once again, Lisa, thank you for
1: joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor.